Welcome to the BristolCon Fringe, a series of readings from the science fiction and fantasy community. This podcast was recorded in front of a live audience in the centre of Bristol. Okay, welcome back again to the final session of uh, this month's Bristol Conference, and this is a bit where I get to torture our two unlucky readers with lots of impossible questions, or alternatively, when I can't think of anything to ask them. We shall see. Anyway, it's time for some questions and things. Um, I guess we should start with Pete. Uh, goats. <laughs> it is probably my favourite goat in the whole of science fiction <laughs> fantasy. But there aren't actually many goats. Oh, you didn't have to say that. Now that like, <laughs> <laughs> um, it would still be my favourite. Oh, goat, sorry. Um, but why goats? Uh, funnily enough, I've been asked this question before, um, and there's a there's a, a few parts to the answer. The, the first thing in the in the first book, the vagrant. Um, it is a, a man carrying a baby through this kind of demonic landscape, and I needed a source of milk to feed the baby. And uh, I, I couldn't quite see dragging a cow across this kind of landscape working. And the other issue is with the taint. The taint mutates and shifts things. So I was thinking, what things on Earth are tough enough to not be influenced by demonic taint? And the only two things I could think of were cockroaches and goats. <laughs> and uh, I thought cockroach milk would be pretty grim, even for me to write about. And the other thing was, I didn't think I was good enough to write a convincing cockroach with character, you know. So we went with goats in the end. Uh, and so, and the, the, other, the other thing as well is, is that the goat provides, I mean, sometimes comic relief, but also a sense of, um, I don't know, a, a check against the human characters. Because in the, in the books, particularly the first book, a lot of the humans are really, really broken and miserable. And they've lost hope, the majority of them. But, you know, the goat doesn't care that the world is ending. The goat doesn't care there are demons. As long as the goat can eat and sleep and do what it wants, you know, she's, she's cool. So it, it, I think it's that thing that sometimes we get caught up in our own individual struggles, but actually the world does keep going. You know, your average dog or cat really does not care about the current state of politics. You know, it's not fast. Dogs probably don't care because they're stupid. Cats care deeply. But only, because, <laughs> <laughs> only because they want to make sure they get a continued supply of food. Yes. And they, they can't allow the humans to go into economic collapse. Right, yes, so Kate Salisbury. Um, I have actually been there once, so I think I know the gates that you're talking about. Was there a, a research trip involved? I actually grew up there, <laughs> so I do know they shut the gates at 11 o'clock and you can't get in and if you're unlucky enough, well you can get out if you're unlucky enough to be there late at night and have forgotten to leave. Um, but yes, uh, yeah, I grew up there. Um, I didn't actually intend to set any of the story in Salisbury. I'd originally sent her up to York and Edinburgh, which I had intended to do research trips to because obviously if you can do nice research trips um, and then ended up the magical system ended up being henges and ley lines and I thought ah Salisbury Plain oh look it, I guess I'm in Salisbury then <laughs> so um, yes that was the reason for Salisbury. Well, it's always nice to have a, an actual setting I think 
I mean, obviously, somebody reading this in, in Australia or Japan is not going to perhaps know that it's a really realistic version of Salisbury, but the fact that, that you're there and you've got all that stuff, does it help in, in terms of doing all description and things? It's possibly easier to do than apocalyptic wasteland, um, but it's also harder because you have to get everything right because you will have people coming and saying, that pub's not quite right, whereas Apocalyptic Wasteland, if you want to put something there, who's arguing? <laughs> yeah, I can just pick up on that point. One of my, the main reasons that I like writing fantasy is because I know very little. <laughs> and, I, and I also hate getting things wrong. And those things in combination, so what you were saying is exactly, exactly right. And the only real research that I did, in fact, was about goats. Because there was the one thing that I knew there would be someone out there that would tell me I got wrong particularly in later books where there are baby goats and other things as well and yeah so you have to yeah so research can be terrifying i think you may have done a bit of research on babies as well yes that's true that is that yes in fact so it's the second time you corrected me in two comments which is pretty impressive <laughs> i'm like it's uh zero two at the moment um, but <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, babies was the other thing that I wanted to get right. I mean, luckily I had some kind of handy research close at hand and I'd been to a, because I had, a, had just gone through the kind of having the baby thing fairly recently at the time that I was writing The Vagrant. Um, and I'd spent a lot of time in children's playgroups as well, watching how, you know, all the, the, the little ones behave. And also how different very young children are, even from sort of an early age. So yeah, it was, it was, it was lazy research in that I had to be there anyway. So I sort of did the research on the side, but yes, it was research. Uh, so, Kate read from two very different books. Obviously, you've been through this thing of, of you, you've got the third book out now, which traditionally in fantasy is, is the end. Um, are, are we going to see something entirely new, or are we going to have more apocalyptic wasteland, or, or even more waste, apocalyptic wasteland? <laughs> so, at the risk of turning this into the pedantry panel, I would say sometimes in fantasy the third book doesn't mean the end terrifyingly, it's, just, it's only the beginning. <laughs> There's 27 more to come. But in, in this case, in this case actually, yeah, the third book does mean the end. Uh, and so there will be a, a new trilogy, um, which is also going to be fantasy, which will be the first book of which comes out uh, around this time next year actually. Um, which we called The Deathless, which I'd be very happy to pimp at you. I don't know if you want me to wave. Oh, no, yeah! So I was joking about this. When, when this launched, my um, agent, Juliet, did a kind of Q&A with me, and she asked me about the new series. And I was saying, well, the thing is, until she's read it and told me how to, to pitch it, I'm very bad at doing the quick summary. A lot of authors know that they can talk for hours about their books. But if someone says, can you tell us very quickly in a way that makes it sound awesome what it's about? It's like, mm, no. <laughs> um, but in, in essence, it sort of combines two things, really. One is, a, is like the kind of the old Grimm's Tales kind of mysterious dark forests. But if you swap out kind of fairies and that kind of thing and replace them with demons, that's pretty much what that is, one side of it. And the other side is um, these immortal beings um, who reincarnate through their descendants. So in other words, they can, they can be reborn into the body of their own children, grandchildren, etc. This is not very good for the child or the grandchild, but it's awesome for the immortal in question because they get to come back to life. Uh, and they live in these giant kind of castles made of crystal in the sky. Um, and there's a sort of thing where the, 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 the demons and things within the woods prey upon the people, the um, immortals prey upon the demons and the humans who are kind of trapped down, they feed the immortals and there's a kind of a cycle which is slightly sinister that goes on between them all. It's called The Deathless anyway, the first book. 
Uh, I'm afraid to say there are no goats. But there are, I never was like, oh, well, get that. <laughs> um, but there are, there are giant five-legged dogs. That's so, yeah. Slightly vagina, five legged cats to hunt. Yes. <laughs> um, talking of like crystal castles in the sky things, cave floating islands. So there's floating. How? Why? What? Um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, childhood thing of, of, you know, when you, when you first start writing and you're a kid who reads fantasy, you want floating things because floating castles and floating clouds and floating crystal things with immortals in um, and then at some point you realise you have to make it slightly more realistic and you sit there and think how would this actually work in terms of I've still got some fantasy so I can make up what I want but at least someone has to read it and go that might be slightly probable so I went for the volcanic vents and floating gas and I haven't had any geologists yell at me yet so it's good I think but yeah essentially I think a lot, a lot of fantasy is just taking your dream and then going, let's put some words around this to make it sound realistic and let other people experience it as well. Uh, anybody out there got any questions that they are desperately keen to ask Pete or Kate? I or want to ask Pete. Oh, well, Kate, <laughs> Anything else in the world with the vagrant? Any more short stories? Anything else? Because you've done. But it's the three novels, one novella and one short story. Anything else coming, or is that it now? Uh, so that's it for the moment. Uh, if, <laughs> if I have an amazing idea for a story, or someone rolls a dump truck of money up to my front door, <laughs> then there will be more, but otherwise, um, that's it for the moment. Presents out of the audience? You're a very shy guitar. Bless them. <laughs> Too hot, it, must, <laughs> it must be the heat. Okay. So that's down to me. We do a um, tea Jeopardy plug if you want. We can do a tea and Jeopardy plug, yes. <laughs> Who have we got coming up on the next episode of Tea and Jeopardy? Well, the, uh, rather than talk about the next episode, I want to talk about the last one because I'm particularly excited about it. So for, for those of you who don't know, quite a lot of you were here last month, so you probably heard Emma talk about this. For anyone who wasn't, very quickly, it's a podcast, it's free to listen to. Um, it is an interview podcast mixed with a bit of uh, audio drama. Each episode features someone creative and wonderful. They go to a tea lair that changes every month, so it might be in a volcano, it might be on the back of a giant bird, it might be uh, in a space station, etc. Sometimes we time travel. It's a very, all very carefully thought out metaphysic, I should add. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, the, the guest comes, they meet Emma, they have tea and cake, they get interviewed, and then they face some kind of death peril which they have to escape with their lives and yeah they're also singing chickens and there is uh, a fairly sinister butler called Latimer who's a scumbag who I don't like very much <laughs> and our most recent guest was Robin Hobb who is my sort of top draw favourite I worship at her feet fantasy author which is why I'm bringing it up so I was sort of super chuffed to get it so um, yeah she, she was our last guest um, I, do, I hate spoiling episodes, but I should at least tell you that she did survive. There is still out there, uh, even though she's been on the show. Um, but if, yeah, if you search Tea in Jeopardy, um, you'll be able to listen to it there. We've had all kinds of really great people on uh, in the past as well, uh, including Bristol's very own Gareth Powell. So, yeah, by all means, go and, go and check that out. When's the goat going to be on Tea in Jeopardy? Well, I'm not sure the chickens can handle it, frankly. <laughs> So probably, but you never say never, never say never. 
it, it will be an interesting episode. Um, the goat is not terribly talkative, so Emma will have her work cut out. <laughs> oh, you mean as the guest? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that would oh, be really mean. <laughs> Kate could be on to you, Debbie. <laughs> Would you like to be on? I'm not sure I dare. <laughs> yeah, there, there are certain health risks involved. <laughs> if you had the goat on it, would eat all the cake? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, without doubt. <laughs> it's only mild power. Mm, yes. <laughs> yes, but it's not too late to buy a supporting membership at World Commons of Folk in the Egos because we want to in jeopardy to win. Then Pete and Emma can come back here with their shiny pockets. Alrighty. You've not thought of any questions yet? It's just a general uh, question. I always like uh, when you speak to other authors about um, who you enjoy reading and who um, you've read recently that's either a first-time author that you've you know, not read before that you want to champion, or just you know, much like Robin Hall, you know, who, who are your favourites? Who are the people that you just think everyone should read? Right, um, I read this really cool book. <laughs> Seven. Um, can't spoil or anything. I read The Vagrant about six months ago. Loved it. Grabbed the Malice. Loved that one. Had to wait for this book to come out. Um, if you haven't read them, read them because it's amazing. And I'm not saying that because he's sitting here. Um, apart from that, I do review books as well. Uh, my list of seriously just go and read it is way too long for me to start reciting. Um, so yeah, go and have a look on the blog. Mary Brennan is probably my top, um, who does the Dragons... forgotten what the series <laughs> This is why I don't do recommendations. Lady Trent? Yes, Natural History, yeah, Lady Trent's Natural History. Um, they're amazing. I was thinking about how sometimes other writers affect the way you write, uh, as in, so sometimes I'll read someone else's work, and I won't want to write exactly like them, but I might think, how the hell did they do that? I want to be able to do that thing that they can do. And so Robin Hobb, from that point of view, is someone who is able to reach in through my ribcage and get my heart and kind of like just scrunch it around a bit, but still make me want to read and still make me want to go on and, and that kind of depth and complexity of character. So if anyone feels like putting themselves through the emotional ringer, um, then I would thoroughly recommend uh, checking out her books because they are really amazing. Um, I'm trying to think of things that are kind of newer that I've read recently that I've liked. Uh, I mean, it was last year, but um, there was quite, there was a very cool, I'm trying to think what it's called, Escapology by Ren Warren, which is a sort of, um, I guess people would relate it to something like William Gibson, sort of cyberpunky, but it's really, it's really kind of batshit cyberpunk fun, like on drugs, thousand mile an hour, really good fun, interesting stuff. Um, obviously read all of Emma's books, all of them twice, they're all fabulous. <laughs> Oh, there's a book coming out soon, for those of you who are kind of fantasy readers, called Age of Assassins. And to some extent, I'm kind of, I should probably shouldn't say this, particularly not while well, it's being recorded, but, you know, there's a lot of things where you have these, these um, the main protagonists are very grim and grizzled and dark and seemingly without emotion almost. And I kind of get, I'm a bit bored of that. I'm getting a bit, you know, tired of that. But in this one in particular, it's kind of the, the fluffiest, sweetest assassin that I've ever met. <laughs> and there's something quite fun about that. They're really not very tough and they're not actually that good and there's, there's quite I mean they're quite skilled but they're not they're not that experienced and so it's quite uh, it's not to say it's a laugh a minute or anything but it was a it was a an assassin that I felt sympathy with so there you go two of my book recommendations are about assassins that you can like
all right, well, I'm going to try and answer this one because, you know, I, I read a fair few books and things, and, and obviously Cat Valenti is, is just the best thing ever, and you should all read everything that she's ever written twice and, and then go back and read it again because you'll learn more about writing by doing it. However, um, the book I want to recommend is, is one that I've just finished reading. Um, it's by Theodore Goss, who doesn't produce that many books, but uh, this one's just come out. I spotted the, uh, the review by Gary Wolfe in Locust and was intrigued by it. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where he takes all of these mad scientists and whatever characters from uh, Victorian science fiction, horror, and, and so forth, uh, and puts them together and a team up, if you like, is the, the comic phrase. Well, this book does the same thing, except it's not the mad scientists, it's their daughters. <laughs> so we have Mary Jekyll, who is a very prim Victorian lady. Uh, we have Diana Hyde, who is a working class girl who's quite good at thieving and that sort of stuff. We have uh, Catherine Morrow, the, uh, the young lady from the, the island of Dr. Morrow, who's made from a puma. She's interesting. Uh, we have uh, Justine Frankenstein, the bride that Frankenstein made for a previous creature. Uh, and uh, once it's gone out of my mind at the moment, but it, oh yes, uh, uh, Beatrice Frappuccini. Um, so that, that might be uh, less familiar to you because it's from a French novel, but uh, she's a, a girl who was raised by her father to be resistant to poisons from flowers, and she, she becomes poisonous herself as a result. Um, so uh, you've got all of these daughters of mad scientists, and they, they team up and help Hans and Watson solve this. So, um, I highly recommend it, The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter by Theodore Goss. All right, uh, meanwhile, back to questions. Kate, would you like to tell us a little bit about what else writing and code does? Because you're not just a writer. I do a bit of everything. <laughs> um, I edit mostly for Grimmel books, um, but do private editing as well, so I get to read everything before it actually comes out, which is amazing. Um, I review I review for SSF World and I review privately as well, so I tend to always have, I would say one or two, it's usually something more like eight or nine books on the go at any one time, and I will be, I do review those on my blog and at SSF. Apart from that, it's bits of writing, it's whatever I come up with at the time, it's general thoughts, um, it's anything that anyone throws at me, it tends to be interesting. Um, I do crafty stuff and DIY as well, so there tends to be moderate amounts of chaos on the blog. So it really is a bit of everything, which is quite awesome. Go and check it out. Uh, now, Pete, we've already talked about you doing Tear Jeopardy, obviously, mm -hmm. as a sideline, but the, the other thing that I keep noticing occasionally talking about with you and Emma is gaming of various sorts. Is this something that you folks have been into for a long time? So when we're saying gaming, are we talking about role-playing here? Well, or computer that, games? Or, so, um, I mean, so the quick answer is yes. I mean, like, we've, we've both role-played for donkey's years um, and always have. And I think, you know, there are, depending on what the kind of the audience are interested in, there are conversations we had about the crossovers between kind of role-playing and gaming and running games and like a business and writing and how those things cross over. Um, but also computer games, I've played those all my life. Um, 
And the other thing I don't know, again, if people may or may not be interested in, but I did, um, I did some writing for a computer game in terms of their world and, and writing a time level for that, so we could talk about that as well, potentially. But yes, Emma and I often pretend to be imaginary people, or used to anyway, um, before Tea and Jeopardy. And interestingly, it's the same part of the brain. So we do a lot less of it since we started writing, don't we? Because you can't, you know, kind of this stuff up one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite, quite familiar with the role-playing thing, having lost 10 years of my own life. Yeah. Role-playing <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I'll never get it back, but it was a lot of fun. Yes, indeed. Uh, but the computer games, I think, is, is maybe slightly different. Is, mm. is that kind of like useful research for fighting, or is the fighting in computer games sort of thing that but front terminal will, will laugh at? I would say in terms of research for fighting, it would be awful. Um, although, you know, it could lead to really funny, th you know, the idea that well, like, a square, square, triangle, so there we go. Um, but what I do think is interesting is you have a generation of readers growing up now who have played computer games and there are certain, I think, maybe visual aesthetics and things in computer games that people might be familiar with. Interestingly, for example, with The Vagrant, one of my influences was Final Fantasy because it is a series which has people with guns but also people with giant swords running around in the same place. You know, and, and the people with giant swords don't die all the time because the guns don't just win every fight. It's completely, you know, bizarre. And that mix of kind of science and, and magic and kind of weird monsters, but also um, technology and everything kind of cohabiting, I think is something that, that a lot of computer games have been doing for years and years that, um, that perhaps games are more familiar with. Perhaps, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, in terms of um, research or fighting, perhaps not, although if you want, you know, very cinematic, over-the-top things. I suppose it's another place you can you can go for excitements and thrills. I think gaming is very good as researching for plotting as well because I don't tend to play the fighters. I play a lot more puzzles, and you have to think about how things are branching, how you solve something, and then you sit down and think about a plot and think, actually, I could do it a completely different way. So that's been an interesting one as well. Alrighty, so has anybody out there got any announcements that they want to make? Joe, hello. Hello, that's uh, just a small plug, but next month um, is the release of New Compress's Best Science Fiction, 20, Best British Science Fiction of 2016, and it's got lots of really good people in it. It's got Peter F. Hamilton and Adam Roberts and Quinn Strong and me. That's uh, <laughs> so you're <laughs> Identity and Sexuality in Current Fantasy and Science Fiction. It's uh, edited by Francesca T. Barbini, and it's from Luna Press Publishing. And uh, the contributors will include such fabulous people as Kim Lagan Smith and Juliet Inkenna. And me. Uh, so the book won't actually be out until the 9th of August, but it'll be available for pre-order and, and stuff whatever as of tomorrow and if anybody's interested I've got little card things here. Uh, also I'm just back from Dortmund. I've been spending a few days at the European Science Fiction Convention. Um, delighted that my friends are in Zivkovich where it was made Grand Master in their awards and so 
a fabulous writer from Serbia, and also Judith Clute, won uh, an award for the best artist. Actually, she was joint funding from Spain, so that was, uh, that was cool. And if anybody's interested in what goes on in Germany, I've got the, the program book and a, a couple of books of short stories in, in both English and German. Uh, you folks got anything you want to plug? Well, I, no, I don't know. I don't know so much about a plug, but I was going to say that I would. I thought I would give this book away um, to someone in the audience today. And I was trying to. Emma normally rolls a dice to make it random and things like that. I do have dice if I can't think of a better idea. But I, I had two thoughts about it. One was if anyone can think of a question, the first person to get a question gets a book, uh, just because you know that might be funny. Uh, but the other thing I thought was if you um, know someone who, for whatever reason, you know may have been having a tough time and a book would really cheer them up and make their life a bit better um, for whatever reason because they've been having a tough ride if you can come and uh, come find me afterwards i will give you the book that person could be you also incidentally because actually my life sucks i'd really like a book please that's fine but if um, yeah if you know someone that would really appreciate getting a book who's having a bit of a tough time come and find me and i'll dedicate a book to them and, and give them to you then we're going to cheer them up by telling them the stories of demonic possession. <laughs> yeah, but I like you. <laughs> well, as you know, it's like, well, it could be worse. <laughs> it, it, could, it could, yes. It's got goats in it as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's a goat, yes, the goat, the goat is fabulous. Alrighty, so anything else that we need to talk to next month, Tom? So, yes, yeah, well, actually, first of all, I want to give out a uh, marvellous thank you to Pete Sutton in our front row for uh, updating our BristolCon Fringe page so we actually now have all of our guests for the rest of the year uh, available, so you can actually just go and have a look at that. So we will announce month on month. I'm not going to list them all now because I can't remember them all. But they are there, so if you want to plan ahead, we can now plan ahead because for the next six months, we're all booked up. That's great. Uh, so that's excellent. Uh, next month uh, we have uh, Virginia Bergen, uh, that's right, uh, young adult um, sci-fi author, yep. and uh, we have our very own Justin Newland. Uh, I assume we'll be reading from uh, Dream Devices. Yes, his uh, first book. So uh, that would be great. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's. In here, it's lovely air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's uh, the something of July. It's the third, third Monday of July, whatever that day is. Um, but uh, we will be putting out the uh, Facebook event tomorrow, and we'll also on Meetup, and we'll also be tweeting it. And we've got our own website, which has got all the dates on, which is great. Um, so yes, uh, yeah, that's it. No one else has any other announcements. Oh, yeah. Um. Most of you probably won't know Virginia, um, and indeed I didn't know her until a couple of weeks ago. I was at an event, uh, a festival of ideas in, in Watershed, and uh, we were chatting away with, with, with people about stuff, and I, I happened to be talking to my friends. This is a great book that we're here learning about, but I can't read it because I'm doing this, uh, this jewelry for the Tip Tree Awards, so I have loads of them to sign such books to read. And um, somebody said to me, oh, I, I met somebody just the other day who had written feminist science fiction. Really? Tell me about it when you get back to me. And 
And when, when we, we broke up, she said, oh, look, there she is. <laughs> and introduced me to Virginia, who it turns out has, has written a book of, it's a, a young adult post-apocalyptic science fiction in which a plague has killed off all the men. Um, and, and the world is being run by women, and of course we are much better at it. <laughs> Um, but it being a young adult book, of course, there, there are actually a few men left, so there is potentially a romance there or something, or well, I don't know, which we'll see. Um, but she's been published by Macmillan, the book is, is just out now, and uh, she's going to come and read to us next month. So, a local author, and a local author is being published by a, uh, a mainstream publisher. We should come along and support her. Uh, I was also reminded that in July we have this. Creative Histories Conference at Bristol University. It's sadly not free, um, and it costs a, a little bit to get into the day. It's being held at Bristol Zoo. So I'm going to be a zoo exhibit. <laughs> I want Johnny Morris. <laughs> um, and my, um, my paper on steampunk, I think, is, is on uh, the Friday, but I, I need to check up on that if anybody's interested. Sadly, they didn't want us to do any readings, but I do need to talk to Joe Rawls at some point about the process of putting together I should trade Bristol fashion, whatever, to get a plug for that, and, uh, and talk about steampunk and colonialism. And I've been having great fun writing these nights. Right, and I think that's just about it, unless anybody's thought of anything else. In which case, thank you very much for coming, and we will see you again next month with uh, Virginia and Justin. The Bristol Con Fringe is a monthly podcast produced by the Bristol Con Foundation. The music at the beginning of this podcast is The Future by Chevy174. We'd like to thank the famous Royal Navy volunteer for providing us with a venue, and we'd like to thank you for listening. If you would like to keep up to date with our events, please like our Bristol Con Fringe page on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at BrizConFringe.